Hello, and welcome to Come Towards Delight, the podcast. I'm your host, Mike Gregson. My mission is to find everyday people who are delightful. The people I interview have attractive energy and a positive outlook on life. And I want to give them a platform to share their stories so that others can have hope in the midst of their struggles and see delight in a world that at times can seem gloomy. I will uncover the life experiences of the guests that I interview, which have enabled them to look at life in such an inspiring and delightful way, with the belief that to understand the light, one has to be acquainted with the dark. My guests will share their personal experiences on finding their way through dark and hopeless times and give us a glimpse into the powerful gifts they received in their darkest hours to rise up, take up hope, and view life through new, hope-filled eyes. Is it possible that in our darkest hours, we are given a gift to find the light which leads to our greatest delights? Welcome to today's show on Come Towards Delight, the podcast. I'm your host, Mike Gregson, and I've got a really special guest with me today who I am honored to be with, even in his home, which is kind of fun for me. I've never, I've never actually come and recorded out of somebody else's home, so this is quite fun. Um, my guest today is Richard Osler, also known as Papa Osler, and that's pretty awesome. Um, and Richard actually has his own podcast. He just finished public, he, he just published a book and he's been doing some things that have really helped to open the door and build bridges for the LGBTQ community um, as members of the faith of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but, but also just as LGBTQ children of God here on earth. Just he, his work and his ministry is really helping to lift hearts and, and help people feel loved and know how important they are. Um, his book, just to let you know, it's it's forward by Steve Young, and it's called Lit- Listen, Learn, and Love, Embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. And Richard, as I've listened to some of your podcasts, and as I've been with you here today um, for an amount of time, there is a goodness about you that I feel through your podcasts and, and when you meet with with some of the people you interview, but also being here in person, I just feel like you have such a you have such a gift at how you look at people. Um, there's there's a depth in in the way that you look at me. I feel like you see me as someone who's just more than a person sitting in the room. I feel like you're looking at me as we I'm con- instantly connected to you. I feel that, and I feel like you're looking at me in an eternal perspective of as a brother, and you know that our relationship has probably gone on for a long time. And I am so excited about the work that you're doing. Uh, you've had your podcast going for about two and a half, almost three years, and you've got about 315 episodes that are just phenomenal. Um, and, and I encourage all of my listeners for Come Towards the Light, check out his podcast. Again, it's called Listen, Learn, and Love. And let me introduce you to Papa Osler. So Papa Osler, if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us about the work that you're doing. Thanks, Mike. And um, it's really great to be on your podcast. And I I love your mission and I love the focus and I just am excited to hear your episodes and your future guests and I think your podcast is going to be really successful. And um, if I don't want to point people to my podcast, I want to keep them focused on yours, but Mike is on our podcast. He's episode 321. And so if you do want to hear more of his story, he's just got a great story that's going to bring much hope and healing to many people. Um I'm um, nearly 60 years old. My wife and I live in Salt Lake City. We're um, parents of six kids, three grandkids, um, active LDS. Um, what really shifted for me was my um, YSA assignment. It was a YSA assignment on the other side of the valley. Um, I kind of grew up in a middle-class Salt Lake City world and stayed in that world. And my assignment in, the other, in another part of the valley, it was just trans... I felt like I was got to have more insights into what Christ did by being with groups of marginalized people that I never fully connected with. And I realized I developed a lot of opinions about different groups of people that were unfair. And and um, I call it the trap of unearned opinions. Um, it's easy for me in my privileged position to have a lot of opinions, but it takes more humility to not develop opinions about black teenagers, undocumented workers, people who have been divorced or have addictions until I really sit with those people. 
and then I'm more fully able to add to their to help them versus add to their burdens. So that was a three-year assignment from 2016, from 2013 to 2016. And it was just a very helpful assignment for me to see God's children more the way he sees them. That's awesome. Thanks so much for sharing. Now, tell me, obviously you've been at this for a few years now. And when it started, the, the focus for you was to really help uh, our brothers and sisters in the LGBTQ community to feel welcomed loved, appreciated, and part of the church and the fold of God when they, when they belong to the church. If you don't mind, I think first and foremost, tell me why, what's your why? Great question. I, um, I remember messaging a young man. My kids got me on social media. That's a whole different story. I'm pretty (laughs) old for social media, but um, our ward wasn't very transient. Um, most There was no apartments in our ward footprint, so most of the YSAs lived in, at home. And I started just to DM them, whether I was connected to them or not. Their phone numbers often weren't accurate, so it was the only way I really knew how to connect with them, except going to their house. And so I just DM all these YSAs that were not active. We had about 100 active and 200 that we were not active, and I wasn't from the area, so I didn't know anybody. And I remember this one guy, Andrew, who's, he messaged me back one day and said, let's meet. And then Andrew came and we met and he was the first gay Latter-day Saint that I ever had priesthood responsibility for. I'd always seen this group as a different group of people that posed a threat, but to sit, to have priesthood responsibility for Andrew and to look across the table and hear him talk about being a gay Latter-day Saint and the unique road and the burdens that he bear, bore that were not his fault. He didn't choose this just change my heart. You build empathy for when you hear people. Um, And I think that's the importance of hearing stories. And and so I just recognized, I finally did a hard drive reset, um, Mike, where I I can take a cholesterol test and kind of get a number. And I know what that number is. It goes up and down. Right now it's kind of down. It's, It's pretty good for me right now. But I can't take a homophobia or a transphobia test and sort of recognize how much of this I picked up in my life. And so I just said, I got a Heavenly Father told me this. He says, just, you need to do a hard drive reset. You need to wipe your your hard drive or everything you've ever concluded about this group of people off. And you need to start from scratch. And you need to meet with LGBTQ people and talk to parents that have LGBTQ children. And then you'll see them the way I saw them. And so that's what I started to do. And I started to, um, I went and had dinner with Doug Bolly who graduated high school a year or two with me, uh, older than me, and he was in a same-sex marriage. And I just thought, I, I'm going to go to lunch, dinner with Doug, and I want to hear his story, Doug and his husband. It was night. And then I went to the bishop's office for a night of interviews, and I was very comfortable that Heavenly Father was uh, pleased that I was in both spaces that night, Mike. and But then about six months before I was released, and I talk about this in this book, I was on Instagram, and Allison Paul and Instagram's a happy place, posted a picture of her son. I never knew. She was just one of the mothers of a gay son I'd connected with. And she posted the son of her son Stockton on Instagram the day after he died by suicide. And she just, and he's a teenager in Davis County. She says, my young man, my son was a square peg trying to fit into a round hole and suffered immensely. And we can do better um, to love everybody. And I just felt a spiritual impression from Heavenly Father that I need to step in this space, not as an activist, not to be critical of the church, not to advocate for changes in doctrine, but be an ally to this group of people that need uh, need someone to amplify their voices um, and bring more understanding. So there's no owner's manual for that. <laughs> um, but I just started to talk about it on social media. And that's sort of been my journey that I talk about in the book. The book's available at Amazon. It's book at, It's available at Siegel Book. It's called Listen, Learn, and Love, as Mike said, Embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. But the book is very little about me. It's mostly um, hundreds of stories of LGBTQ Latter-day Saints and parents because I've always felt that's job. my job as an ally is to shift the focus from me to this group that I'm fine. I'm in the middle of privilege. I'm male. I'm 60. I'm you know, I could go down the list. And my job using that privilege is to amplify voices that have less privilege. And certainly LGBTQ people in our society have had that. 
So that's what I've been doing. And um, the podcast came about because my son-in-law said my Facebook posts were too long, <laughs> which is true. And he Leave was- Leave it to a child, right? I know. And he, he said mm -hmm. um, he was commuting in DC and he said, you know, a lot of us listen to podcasts during our commutes on public transportation. So I thought I'd just start sharing my thoughts on a podcast, but pretty quickly I recognized that the role of the podcast was to amplify other voices and be a platform. And I hadn't even listened to a podcast when I started our podcast. And I had a high school friend or my son's high school friend set me up who still posts these for me, Tom Garbett, who deserves a shout out whenever I can. Um, but I pay him a little bit. So it's a, it's a win-win, but I just felt like I wanted to bring other voices on to share their stories because that's how we build empathy and that's how we touch someone else's cross. And a lot of us, like me, were nervous about engaging with LGBTQ people at all. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know if I'd say the wrong thing. So I just withdrew for 55 years until that dinner with Doug Bolly and his husband, Rob. And I've been in the space ever since. And that's just, you know, what I felt impressed to do. And I'm honored to do it and just amplify this uh, voice, these these wonderful people. And and um, on your on the podcast you did with me, you, everybody should listen to the end of our, you should listen to the whole podcast, 321, but Mike talked directly to LGBTQ people in as fine a way as I've ever heard a Latter-day Saint talk to LGBTQ people. And um, so you ought to listen to the end of episode 321 or splice that into one of your episodes, Mike, or do that again. But um, I thought I was supposed to rescue LGBTQ people, that kind of that was my job, but they're rescuing me. They're teaching me things about the gospel of Jesus Christ and about empathy and compassion and service. I have a long ways to go, but I can't be the disciple God wants me to be without LGBTQ people in my life and the things they teach me. And I love Corinthians 12, where the body of Christ is the arms and the hands, and no part can look at the other part and say they're less worthy or more worthy. And and they are the body of Christ. And, and, and uh, you know, Gallup says about 4 to 5% of the U.S. population is LGBTQ. And if we assume that's accurate, um, and we assume that implies to the whole population of Latter-day Saints, which is 16 million, that means we have 720,000 of our own people that identify as LGBTQ. And if you put those in Lavelle Edwards Stadium, if you're a BYU football fan, pre-COVID, that would fill the stadium 11 or 12 times with our own people. Wow. And so that really shifted in my mind. I just, yeah, there's LGBT people that want our church to fail and me to fail perhaps, but there's straight people that do. Just to pin that on one group's not fair. Um, but we need to sort of see them as our own people, our own family members, our own congregation. And and that doesn't change our doctrine. doesn't mean we you know don't believe in the same things we believe in, but we just wreck. And then we have... We recognize how hard the road is. If we're asking someone who's gay or lesbian um, never to have companionship for their whole life to stay within the teachings of our church, which I invite all to do, but we build empathy for how difficult of an ask we're making, and we just better kind of walk the road because we understand how difficult the road is. That's awesome. I, I, I think every single sentence you said right there, we could stop it, pause it, and have a full-on conversation and get a lot of beauty and, and a lot of rich goodness out of that. Thank you for thank you for all that you just shared right there. I, I want to go back real quick. And, and that, first of all, Andrew, um, if you hear this, way to go. Way to be vulnerable. That That's not easy for an LGBTQ person to come in and sit down with a bishop, especially, you know, back in 2013. And so... If you hear this, Andrew, just you've done a great job because look what's happened because of your effort. And I know that wasn't easy for you. Um, take me back real quick, Richard. You, you, you go in, you meet with Andrew. He comes in. He's vulnerable. He tells you where he's at. You feel this love. It's like God's love through you to this person. And you recognize that. And wow, that's special. And you realize I've got to do a whole hard drive reset here. How... I, I, you, you went, you called your friend, you took him and his husband to dinner. Obviously you, you put in some action steps there. How did you, how did you really do the full process of a hard drive reset? And are, is it a completed process or where are you at with that? That's great questions. Um, the last question is, I don't think it's complete. I better, I want to, it's back to this 
homophobia or transphobia test, I still don't know what I, in five years from now, I'll look back or as I've written this book that's out, in the book I said, I still may look back and th write things in this book that I wish I hadn't written. And I may have added to the burden of somebody because of still um, incorrect assumptions that I have. And so I think it's part of learning about a group of people that we don't directly know is to just be pretty careful about developing conclusions until we, and every group of people's different within that group of people. So meeting one transgender Latter-day Saint does not make me an expert on all transgender Latter-day Saints. And so there's a lot of difference within every group. And so you just have to be willing to learn and set aside um, prior assumptions. But I think the best way to learn is meet with people in that group or hear stories. And then you, I love what Fiona Gibbons in our church teaches. It's this idea to touch someone's cross, to bear someone's burden, you got to touch their cross and to touch their cross, you got to hear their story. Um, one of the scriptures I really like is, um, you know, it's about the mysteries of God and Nephi and he that diligently, I'm paraphrasing, will understand the mysteries of God, but we have to diligently seek. And I recognize, I, I thought about that for LGBTQ Latter-day Saints and I thought, well, I've got to diligently seek and I've got to, you know, by the spirit you learn. And so I felt that's, I felt that as part of my life as I've understood this and and I don't believe God is up there going, oh, no, what went wrong? Some of my children are LGBTQ. I don't think anybody should look in the mirror and feel their mistake. I think everybody needs to be on the same moral footing, straight or LGBTQ, that they're an equal son or daughter of God, always worthy of their love, and no one is a mistake. Now, that doesn't change our doctrine or change um, our commandments, but it puts everybody on the same moral footing. And I think when we feel like God loves us, even if we're LGBTQ and that we're not a mistake, then we can love us. And I've noticed my LGBTQ friends often do better when they feel like this part of them is acceptable to God. Then it's acceptable to them, and then they can have a better relationship with God because they recognize God loves them, and they're created the way they're supposed to be created. And I just, I love, and I've given, you know, a, a lot you know, in this last six months of being a YSA bishop, as I started to post on social media, I was stunned with the number of people that wanted to talk about this. And one group was LDS mothers that wanted their YSA age LGBTQ children to be in the ward. And I, they just wanted a safe place. And they recognized I was safe because I was saying kind things about this group. And I didn't accept any of those records because they didn't live in my boundaries, but I was willing to meet with anybody that wanted to meet. I just felt like Christ would meet with everybody he would, and I didn't pretend to be their bishop, and but I'd still meet with them either in my home or in the bishop's office sometimes, and and that was very helpful for me to just hear more stories, and as part of that process that continues, I often will give blessings to LGBTQ Latter Day Saints, not as their priesthood leader, just as a fellow Latter Day Saint that holds the priesthood, and and Mike, I have blessed some of them, the very best premortal spirits whose life mission is largely masked from their our eyes and who God's love for them is not understood well by us as Latter-day Saints. And I have never felt an impression to use the priest that I hold to change someone's sexual orientation or imply that could change or someone's gender identity. And I just, I just think that that's, that's just how I feel. And that's what I talk about in the book. And it puts... I kind of come back that it puts everything on the same moral footing where we're all equal children of loving heavenly parents and we're all created in their image and likeness. And it doesn't mean we're perfect. And we know the Savior is the only perfect person, but it means that we're all how we're supposed to be. I love that. I love that. And that's so true. That is so true. And and I think, you know, a, a couple things come to mind. When I was driving here, I've listened to quite a few of your conversations with our LGBTQ brothers and sisters. And, and good job getting all those letters in the round. Yeah, I know. I'm proud of myself. Um, but I, it, as I was driving here, I, I had a very clear impression. I thought of Christ. And and you talked a lot about Christ right there. And we're, we're supposed to be like him, right? He's asked us to come follow me, right? And so we want to follow him. He's our perfect example. And we watched the way he lived and what he taught and, and, when he taught us the most important commandments, love God, love your neighbor. And he didn't in the next line say, but make sure you judge them first to make sure they're lovable. That's not there. 
That's never there. The commandment is to love. Why do we define those things? You, you mentioned that, that there's some bias out there. And, and I, I felt those in my life. You know, that's why, obviously, at the end of the podcast, United, I read that letter that I wrote because I, I wanted them to know my sincerity to really love and lift them like you're doing. And I, I want to put some context around um, what it could be like, and I don't know perfectly, but what it could be like to be LGBTQ in the state of Utah. Um, I know that suicide rates have gone up for young kids that grow up um, LGBTQ in Utah. And, and a lot of that is because of the pressure that comes from the understanding that, you know, there's male and there's female and, and we should get married and have kids and it's all about families, right? And so what is a very eternal and wonderful thing um, has caused a lot of people to feel just utter darkness and pain in their lives. And because of lack of understanding and lack of empathy, I'm going to talk about me personally, and I'm, I'm sure there's quite a few that fall into this category. But because of lack of understanding, lack of empathy, and lack of love, I would, I would honestly say because I'm scared of this group and somehow I think it's bad that I have put this group down and I've belittled this group to somehow make myself feel better. And that's not what Christ taught. That is the farthest thing away from the truth of what he taught. And, and that can't happen. We've got to somehow provide a safer place for these young kids in their battles, in their moments of trying to uncover who they are and whether they're straight or whether they're LGBTQ, everybody goes through those moments, right? Of trying to understand who they are and, and what they're all about. And we as a culture need to follow your example of resetting our hard drives, showing up and doing what we need to do to make the connections and having those tough conversations so that we can learn and we can grow. Um, my next question for you, I, I, I know that you've been doing this for a while now. Again, you, you're up to 321 now, I think is what we recorded today. That's a lot of interviews. That's a lot of families you talk to. Um, there's so much to gain from those conversations and from those stories and what we can learn and what we can understand. I know, I know around episode 250, um, you changed your introduction you went back to it and you kind of you kind of redid it and you talked a little bit more because things had kind of not changed for you, but maybe directions were a little different or maybe there was some new highlights or, or light brought to you from doing a lot of these interviews to help you really start to see more clearly maybe the path that you were on. Can you can you share a little bit about what what have these interviews done to you? What have they taught you? Well, I think the thing that I've recognized and the podcast, as you know, is broader than LGBT. We're kind of just talking about all the taboo subjects that a lot of people want to talk about. We don't talk about very easily in the four walls of our church or families, mental illness, um, just the early release missionaries, sexual sin, pornography. There's just all this stuff that's part of our lives potentially. And so the guests have really been the heroes that bravely come forward and talk about this stuff. But, um, I think the podcast has taught me just the I've sat with the, everybody is a, 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 if we really own that doctrine, everybody's a child of loving heavenly parents. I have just met people that I would have dismissed or pulled away from or had fear about. And I don't have perfect love casteth out fear. I have far less fear in my life, Mike, right now than I've ever had. Our world is very divisive. It's the last days. Satan is real. All that's factual, but if I own the gospel of Jesus Christ at the 40,000 foot level, I know that Heavenly Father knows the end from the beginning. These are all of his children. He's going to want to get as many back as he can possibly get. And then it sort of is relieving for me. I, 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 yes, I need to continue to work on my own salvation, but it's not like I want to reach out and bring as many people with me. There's no scarcity in salvation. In fact, I find I do better in my own personal journey in my relationship with God when I'm reaching out and bringing others with me. And so I just, I'm 
much at more at peace and I don't have fear and I love what you teach about these commandments. I think it's a false dichotomy that to fully love and follow God, we have to stop loving some of his children. It doesn't say that. I think culturally, and perhaps there's been some leaders that have caused us to feel that, um, but I just think that, and I think we're wired that way. We want to love everybody. So um, to me, it's not my, keeping my covenants doesn't give me the right to judge other people if they're keeping their covenants. I just, um, one of the posts I did really along four years ago, it was still my most viral post when I recognized that maybe I should continue to talk. I, I, one of our YSA's couples was married in the temple and she was a brand new convert and they only invited, um, the temple sealer and the two of them to the temple. It's pre COVID. This is four years ago because they didn't want to exclude anybody. Her, yeah. She's a brand new convert. And then I was asked to perform the ring ceremony that night and they walked down the aisle and um, I, I performed a ring ceremony and everybody was there kind of on equal ground, his active family and her non-member family. And they were so sensitive to that. And I posted a picture on social media of me performing the ring ceremony, mentioning that they were married in the temple earlier that day. And I, wa and I got, I walked into church that day and a, and a fellow said, did you see what was missing in, in what she was wearing? And I, and I realized he was referring to her dress that wouldn't allow her garments to be there. And I just made it, it rubbed me wrong because I thought all I saw, and maybe I just don't notice those things, was just a beautiful couple getting married and committing themselves. And he saw that, that she wasn't wearing her garment. And I, it could have been her mother's wedding dress that she had given to her. Um, a family heirloom. I think Christ could have been very comfortable that she was not wearing her garment. I don't want to know. I don't want to infer that. But the point was of the post was it's not our judge to, job to judge others, and we shouldn't be looking at people's clothing and figuring if they're wearing their garment or not. Yeah. Um, keeping my temple covenants doesn't isn't doesn't give me the requirement to see if you're keeping your temple covenants. So. That post has been shared, you know, thousands and thousands of times. It keeps going viral in cycles. and um, But it's just, it's so consistent, I think, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Elder Uchtdorf says it on his bumper sticker, I sin differently than you. You know, he just talks about how do I say this more forcefully in a conference talk, stop judging. And that is the doctrine. So I think we just need to do better in that. And you talked about something that I've, Brene Brown has labeled common, common enemy intimacy. And that's the idea if the bond we share is just we hate another group of people. Wow, we do feel a lot of connection. But it just leads to more stress, anxiety, and it's not the fuel for real connection. Love is the fuel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the fuel. So if I go to church and all church for me is talking how bad the Catholics are, or that their churches are empty, or that LGBTQ people are going to destroy us. There may be some feelings of that bring me a sense of belonging, community, but I don't think it's what Christ would want us to do in our congregations. So that's kind of a long answer. I'm going to read. Um, I put this on Instagram. This is from one, a gay BYU student, Calvin Burke, and um, this is his bishop at BYU. Tonight, my bishop told me, quote, I used to be one of those who spoke cruelly about LGBTQ people. I wish I could take it back. I hope to spend the rest of my life repenting for that. I want to make sure our ward is safe, a place for you and for everyone. And Calvin said, made me cry. That was his tweet. And I've, I'm that person. I was that person. And I just... I want to make amends for the things I've said in the past or the pulling away I've done or because I just look at what Christ wants us to do and what this good bishop and provo did. And I think there's a, a swell in um, society and LDS congregations of just seeing LGBTQ people as our people that are a marginalized group of people. And what's my responsibility as my baptism covenant to lift their burden? That's awesome. That is, that is wonderful. And so a couple things come to mind <clears throat> while you're saying that. Um, first and foremost, isn't it, isn't it interesting? And I, I've seen this in my life that, um, when I'm hurting or I'm in pain, all I want is some grace. That's all I want. Just, to, I'm so hard on myself. I just want a little grace. I just want a little mercy. I, I, 
I've begged in my mind for it, you know, like, please. I can't imagine how our LGBTQ friends have felt when that's how they feel. Sometimes these are very personal battles, right? They're, this is, they've been taught a doctrine their whole lives and, and they're looking at this thing going, well, this is who I am. And, and certain people have made me feel this way. There's bias towards me. And how do I, how do I come out of the closet and talk about it? How do I be vulnerable with this when there's that scariness of you could lose everything? Think about, I think we all need to take a step back and think about our moments in our life where we have been in our hardest battles, mental battles, spiritual battles, where we've cried out and we've just wanted grace and mercy. And we need to be quicker to give that rather than withholding it because we have our fears or we have our, um, our, our thought process somewhere else. We can show up. And that's what, that's exactly what Christ would do. And, and I, I just thank you for saying all that. That is, that is beautiful. Um, I, I have a, I had a thought come to mind while you're talking as well. I, I know, I know that you've been doing this for long enough now, and you've had enough conversations that you have a depth and an understanding of, of some of the feelings that our LGBTQ brothers and sisters that belong to our faith, um, you have, a, you have a feeling and a depth about what, how they feel more than I do and more than a lot of the listeners that are going to hear my podcast. Can you, what, is that okay to ask you to speak for them for just a second? And, and obviously I'm not asking for perfection here, but from your experience, what, what do they need? What, what are they, what are they looking for or hoping for? It's a great question. Um, chapter seven of the book um, is ministering to LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. And in that chapter, I've brought um, stories of parents' advice to local leaders, LDS parents with LGBTQ kids. And so there's lots of great advice from parents, and there's also great advice from LGBTQ people. I think they want, to answer your question, Mike, I think they want to feel like they belong Everybody needs to feel like they belong. Brene Brown says, fitting in is assessing a situation of becoming something you need to be. I wore Levi 501 jeans in high school because that was cool. I didn't really like having my waist size on the back of my pants or they could <laughs> see my 34 waist um, or 36. I can't remember what it was back then, but I did it because I wanted to fit in. That's a silly example, but it's exhausting for LGBTQ people to fit into a heteronormative world when they're not. All the conversations about dating, getting married, you just pointed out, and they don't have a path for that. Some do. Some will go into a mixed orientation marriage or some that are bisexual can make a marriage between a man and woman work. And we, um, and the book talks about the complexities of especially a mixed orientation marriage. Some of those do and can work. And I'm supportive of those, obviously. Um, but they just, um, belonging to use Brene Brown's words, it is. it doesn't require us to change who we are. It requires us to be who we are. So if you can think of square pegs trying to be hammered into round circles, that's how LGBTQ people feel. And they're exhausting themselves trying to fit into that round, that round hole. And the, the square peg is splintering. And that represents the feelings you talked about, about feeling suicidal, just feeling broken. I don't fit in. There's no path for me. And so belonging is where we don't ask them to be round pegs. And society and and even our church sort of put this back on the LGBTQ person to pray it away or to do something to be straight. And now we've recognized that, and the church doesn't ask anybody that's, that's gay to somehow make themselves straight. Um, sexual orientation, it's fine to identify as gay and hold a temple recommend. The church is pretty clear on that. It's just behavior um, is what the church talks about now. But it's on us, Mike, to create square holes for them. And so um, the whole responsibility shifted when we decided that sexual orientation is not a choice and you can't change it. And so the response, and so I think LGBT would say, you know, help me feel like I belong. Help me feel like people like me are welcome here. Hear my stories. Recognize Dallin Steele in the book talks about coming out to his YSA ward as gay and and he said it was just relieving because my YSI ward quit asking when I was dating. And that was, and Sunday got so anxious for Dallin because he knew that conversation could happen again and again. And now his whole ward knows he's gay and 
and he has a better sense of belonging and church is a better experience for him. And, and, and his straight friends, and this is where, this is what I couldn't do at Dallin's age in a YSA ward. And I pulled away from the high school guys that were gay at Highland High School. But the more and more of our LDS youth, and you're that way, you're not a youth, but you're, you, you're in a great spot on this. Dallin's friends don't pull away. Dallin's straight friends ask him about what it's like to be gay. They are roommates with him. They're not all weirded out that Dallin's gay. Um, and that's really he healing for LGBTQ people to have straight people that just love them for who they are and don't, and don't pull away or somehow think this is going to have got awkward. It's, doesn't, it doesn't, they're just human beings. And so, you know, I just think we're making progress on that. And so those are some thoughts. Um, we need, it's on us and it's on us as, it's doctrinally on us, I believe, as part of our baptism covenants to bear more and comfort and create square pegs. Now, some would say the church has to change. And I'm I know the way I handle that, because that's complex, is I sort of talk about the church's relationship with its LGBTQ members like a 40 chapter book. And we're not at chapter 40, but I don't know what chapter we're in. Um, I'm not a leader in the church. I don't know Heavenly Father's will, but chapter 40 represents to me when a mother of a 13-year-old gay kid has just as much hope in this life and the next life as she does for a 13-year-old straight kid. And right now, a mother's full of fear. So I think it's fair to say our church has more work to do because I don't think God wants that mother to feel fear. Um, I think the plan of salvation needs to work equally for everybody. And so some people say, could our doctrine change? And I just, I don't say, I just generally say, I don't know. Um, it could, our doctrine could change. And some people say, well, that sounds like you're crossing a line. Our doctrines changed on issues in the past as we received more light and understanding. I'm just more comfortable saying, I don't know if our doctrine should or shouldn't change. I support our current doctrine and I'm not advocating for change, but it could. And I don't think it's unfaithful as a Latter-day Saint to feel something could change. Um, but what I think the process is, is we don't know Heavenly Father's will as rank and file members, and we're not a leader that sits on the general councils responsible for that. So that's the way I manage that really complicated space. But um, let's create space for people that are willing to keep our current doctrine, but kind of privately hope maybe something changes. A really simple example I put in the book, what about people that one day, what about people that actually like to drink coffee and tea, <laughs> um, <laughs> but are willing to obey the word of wisdom and not drink coffee and tea um, and actually hope that changes someday or it's just left up to them and it's not a temple recommend question. Would we ask them all to not have temple recommends because they hope that changes? And I think most of us would go, oh, that's probably, yeah, we ought to, unless they're campaigning and organizing a movement to change that doctrine, let's let them have temple recommends. So I think we just need to create space. One heart and one mind in Moses, that scripture I love, doesn't to me, mean we have uniform beliefs about every feeling. We just have the same desire to come into Christ and bring others with us. So let's create space in our congregations for people, different political parties, different feelings about some of this space so that they can feel like people like them are welcome. And certainly for LGBTQ people that are walking really complicated roads. So kind of a long answer, but those are some thoughts, Mike. I love it. Thank you. And it, so something comes to mind. It's something that I've been thinking for quite a while now. Um, one thing that I've learned from anybody who's fallen away from faith is typically it's not the doctrines that have caused them to fall away. It's the culture. And so I, in, in about the last three to four weeks, I, I just had an impression that I needed to read, starting with the New Testament and then kind of working through the, the scriptures, I needed to read with a lens of, I want to understand the culture that Christ established when he was on the earth, how he lived, what he did, and then when he set up his church, how he instructed the leaders of the church to treat others. I want to learn about that culture. I want to understand what that means. As I've begun this journey studying culture, it's been awesome and eye-opening and um he spent his time amongst the most downtrodden hurt people 
you know, whether it's poor or the sinners or the exile or whatever, that's who he went to. He went to the prisons. And that didn't mean that he didn't worry about all these other people as well. Uh, you know, they people need their strength in, in moments, but not everyone needs that all the time. You said something about how everybody wants to feel important. And amen to that. Because LGBTQ brothers and sisters, they want the same things that we do. They are we need to remember that they are more similar to us and us to them than, than we realize and we give them credit for. We are all children of God and we all have the light of Christ within us. And Christ went to people who were hurting. He brought them in. There was nobody that he shunned from coming and learning. And, and come follow me was not, hey, 90% of you come follow me. The other 10, uh, sorry, you can't because this is who you are and this is the way you're living. So for me in my mind to have ever been like that, which I am guilty of in, in certain groups of people like LGBTQ because of my own ignorance, that's not right. That's not doctrine. And I honestly feel that if we truly read the doctrine with a lens of faith, that we will all be inspired and prompted to reach out more than we are to not just LGBTQ, but to all of our neighbors and all of our friends and, and, and to just love and lift like Christ did. And, and I'm going to talk about today in, in the culture of America right now, you, you mentioned the word divisive. We are, we are so divided. <laughs> I mean, you look at the political world and it's like, holy cow, what is happening? And obviously that bleeds into every other thing. And, and we have people that, that feel they're, they're right. And, and they feel they're right for the right reasons because they feel like it connects them to God about one thing. And then the same type of people feel that way about something completely different. And we fight fighting gets no one anywhere. Christ didn't teach that to us, but he, he taught us to go to people who are hurting, to show up for them and then to take them by the hand and to lead them to him, not to us, not to, not to whatever other group is, is, is the group that's trying to help, but to lead them to Christ, to point them to the savior. Cause he is the way, the truth and the life. I, I, I wonder Richard, if you could talk to the LGBTQ who are in the midst of really in the, in the struggle of, do I accept this? about myself and who I am enough to like, I'm scared to death to tell my family, my friends, because I know this is immediately going to happen to me. Can you speak to that at all for some of, if this gets to any of them and they're in that moment of feeling overwhelmed with just life going forward. And if they're going to, you know, accept who they truly are, or if they're going to try and live a lie and can you, can you talk to them at all? Yeah. I, I love what you just I hope you said realize how powerful you at the beginning of your segment there, where you are reading the New Testament, the scriptures, through the lens of trying to understand the culture that Christ created. And I think is I, I think that's why the scriptures exist. Sometimes we read them through different lenses. Like I've got kids, so what am I going to learn from the scriptures? And that inspiration sometimes comes from the words, but it sometimes comes from just the communication channel with God is open, so thoughts will come into your mind. And often those thoughts for me happen after my morning scripture study and I'm out walking. It's sort of like it opens the communication. So, But then I love the lens you're reading. So what in the culture of Christ's ministry applies to this space? And, and there's a lot there. In fact, chapter 2 of the book is talking about the parables of Christ and how it applies to LGBTQ people. He obviously never talked about LGBTQ people. But those parables and the culture he created, I believe, were he knew that they would need to be timeless and match for the issues of today. And you've cited some of them. And so those are really important. And there's a quote in the book um, in Chapter 7. It's from Sister Carol McConkie, a former um, first counselor in the Young Women's General Presidency. It's just what you just taught. The gospel of Jesus Christ does not marginalize people. People marginalize people. And we need to fix that. Um and then I go on in my book to talk about one of the best examples of that I saw at a stake president 
in a when a gay man came out um, in a state conference and the bear hug the state president gave him in front of the whole stake, and the culture that that created that if here's a guy that just came out, Mike Seacrest, a, a radiologist in California, to the whole stake, and I'll tell I'll just paraphrase this a little bit, and I haven't even answered your question. I was invited to be there. I'm a friend of Mike, and I got to know the stake president. In fact, he asked me to speak at church also. But a stake president usually sits on the stand between his two counselors. And Mike was then sitting not next to the stake president, but on the stand. And Mike was the second to last speaker. And the stake president, and this is a guy that's a doc. I mean, he's been through medical school. Could sense Mike was so nervous because he's about to come out as gay to the whole stake. He traded seats with his counselor. And I was just sitting there, and I just— I. I just thought, wow. to your point, that's exactly what the Savior would have done. And then Mike gave this talk. He came out gay to the stake, and, and Mike's been on the podcast. But then the stake president's the final speaker, and they passed on the stand in front of the whole stake. And, you know, it wasn't a polite handshake. It, it was a bear hug yeah. in front of the whole stake. So if I'm a member of that stake, the Long Beach East California stake, and I've got something going on in my life. I'm not LGBTQ, but I just need to talk to somebody. I know I can talk to President Fersh. And if I'm a leader in that stake, he's just role modeled for me how to be a leader. And so if I'm a young men's leader or a Relief Society president or whatever, or if I'm a parent, um, and I want to create a culture that my own kids will open up to me about whatever's going on in their life, President Fersh just role modeled that for me. But to your point, Christ role modeled that for us in the New Testament. Um, with a woman, there, I mean, it's just, there's a whole, there's not just one one-off parable of this. There's just, it goes on and on and on. And he did not not teach his doctrine to do that. He just was with everybody that society said he shouldn't be with. So um, not, I don't think I actually answered your question, but um, another example of Sister McConkie that I put in the book is Elder Minor is a, is a family friend, and he's on a mission in Oklahoma, and he's in a leadership council with President Mansell, and I'm using their names because they gave me permission and they're in the book. And President Mansell says to his missionaries, what do we need to do to improve as a mission? What a great question. Yeah. Elder Minor raises his hand and says, we need to stop the gay jokes. And President Mansell picked up right on that. And he says, absolutely. And he, talk, and he talked positively about gay people in that leadership council. And Elder Minor talked about how we resolved that day to be a little more like Jesus Christ. And Elder Minor makes the point, if we're representatives of Jesus Christ and we got his name on our badge, shouldn't we be the, it's sort of like, shouldn't we be the last people to be making gay jokes? Yeah. Um, I'm guilty of that. And so I just think, you know, G the gospel doesn't marginalize people, people marginalize people. Yeah. And people in their own faith have done that. And I think when someone, it's complicated, when someone opens up that's LGBTQ about pain in their own faith, I call that church-generated pain, whether it's a leader comment or a rank-and-file member comment. I've learned that I can validate that pain and sit with them in that pain. And even if I don't, ex no one should have to prove their pain, Mike. Um, that's a really good point. And I just, as a disciple of Christ, I just sit with them in their pain. And that's often all they need is someone to validate that pain. And I don't, I feel like if I dismiss it, it drives any wedge between them and the church deeper. Yeah. But if I sit with them in that pain, and it doesn't, to me, it doesn't mean I, I'm compromising anything about my support of leaders or support of the doctrine Yes. by sitting with someone in their pain. Yeah. And so that's been a space that's been tricky for me because I think my, well, at first, my natural reaction was, because I've never experienced that kind of pain, is to dismiss that pain or to, or to sort of support the leader or the person who said a comment, say they didn't really mean that, or, you know, can you look at really how good they are overall, but... They just need someone to sit with them. And we can heal people by sitting with them in their pain. And a lot of LGBTQ people have felt a lot of pain yeah. um, from people in the church. And the church, it's sort of back to Sister McConkie's point, is um, the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is still being restored, President Nelson is teaching us that. So that's back to that 40 chapter. It's just work to do in this space. And I think we can be confident enough in our leaders and our restored gospel to say, yeah, we got work to do in this space. Yeah. And, and be okay with that. Yeah, that reminds me of an experience that I had, and I don't want to share that, but first I, I, I thought of, you recently had somebody on your show, and I believe you've had her twice, Jenny Richards. Yeah, just once. Once. But we've had other Richards. And 
Now, she talked a lot about in her podcast about kind of that idea that you see somewhere, someone where they are and you go to them. We, for some reason, we have this thing about us as sometimes members of the church where we have to get ourselves as good as we possibly can, get up on this pedestal, and then we've got to reach down throw a ladder down, throw a rope down and, and hope someone takes it and then pull them up to where we're at. Cause that's how we lift people. That's not what Christ taught. That's not what he showed. He never said that he went to them. He wrapped his arms around them and he invited them to come follow him as he took them by the hand to lead them and show them the way. And that's what we can adopt. That's what we can change. That's the culture that we can live, and we need to do a better job. I agree. Um, I had another thought, but, but it escaped me. Oh, I remember. So when you talk about all, all you, sometimes all people need is for other people to sit in that space with them, to acknowledge it. That's powerful. I, I, that is a beautiful thing, and I have an example of that I want to share and, and, and how groundbreaking it was for me to see, and you just completely described it. When, when my wife and I were living in Colorado, which was um, about a year ago, um, we had a conversation with some, some friends of ours who are very faithful members of the church. And somehow, in some weird way, as we're playing games, this conversation comes up about eternal marriage and this whole idea that, and, and I'm not going to go into great detail here, but, but this idea that you, you're, you know, you're, you're going to do this and that, and you're, you're probably going to have maybe multiple spouses and, and all these things, right. That, that LDS people are, um, we understand is, is certain, you know, talked about in the Bible and things like that. And, and I don't want to go into that cause I'm not trying to explain any doctrine, but it, what it did is it, it became contentious and, and it hurt, it hurt my wife to the point where she literally wow. not in the moment, but after they were gone, she was in tears and, she went up to, she literally, I found her in the closet wow. laying on the ground with her scriptures open, trying to find doctrinally exactly what they were saying was the truth. It's not there. And I, you know, I'm, I'm a man, I'm a fixer, right? right. <laughs> We've been labeled that sometimes. And normally, typically I, I, as someone who has a lot of faith, whatever, I, I probably, you know, in, in normal circumstances, I probably would have gone and sat down and said, well, let's study together and I can, maybe I can help you. I knew right away that's not what she needed to hear. So I simply sat down in the closet with her, didn't say a word. I rubbed her back. And then after a little while and just feeling her pain, if you will, and I hope LGBTQ, I hope these, any listeners can kind of apply this to what I'm talking about right now. But I, I, I tried to feel her pain and have empathy. And, and I said a silent prayer. What can I do that will help her? What does she need right now? Instead of what do I need to do to bring her out of this? I tried to understand what she needed. And my response to her was, Alicia, I'm so sorry for what happened. If you need to take a break for a while to pray and think things through, I support you 110%. And that is not like me. I, I typically wouldn't have been like, if you need to take a break because I, you know, I'm devout, right? But, but I knew, I just had this feeling that that's what she needed. And it was amazing how within seconds, she looked up at me and said, you have no idea what that means to me. I know that this is true. I know that Jesus Christ lives. I know the church is true. And then she said, because you said that, I'm not going to take a break, but because you said that, I now feel like I am in such a safe place full of love. And I can, I can slowly and patiently figure this out, find my answer and connect with God about this thing. But that's, I did exactly what you're talking about. And I'm not, I'm not good at this. I'm not great at it. But this is one time in my life where I, I think I did okay. And I just tried to be there for them. Not to justify, not to ex explain away why, they, why this was said and, and, and how, you know, whatever. But to be there for them in the moment and say, I'm on your team. I hear you. I see you. I'm right here. 
And I'm not trying to teach you anything right now. I'm right here. So talk to me if you need to or, or whatever. But I That's, hope that I call those, relates. I call those home run moments where you just feel, um, I really am where you are on that. I hope I can do that. The longer I served in these YSA interviews, the more, the less I talked. Um, the more I listened and asked open-ended questions. And often the YSAs at the end of those interviews knew what they needed to do. And it almost, it almost was better for them coming from themselves versus me. But also, often, it would help me fully understand their situation. And then a priesthood blessing would often be better once I knew the totality. And, but it takes, but I love that, I think you did what Heavenly Parents are doing for us. They're saying, I trust you enough that I'm sending you immortality. And so the fact you, tr- you love, your wa- the signal you sent to your wife is, I love you, even if you need to step away for a period of time to process this. And then you become a safe person for her to talk about everything. And isn't that what we want in our most important relationships? Um, I'm reading from the book again. And by the way, all the proceeds in the book are going to this young man's foundation who died by suicide because um, I don't want to profit off of What's his name? Stockton Powers. Okay, yeah. Yep. So Stockton has a memorial. So if anybody buys the book, any of the royalties go to his foundation. Um, our love for one another doesn't need to be motivated only by a desire for someone to return to the church. Harper Don Forsgren, a return missionary, tweeted, quote, We as members of the church need to stop focusing on we need to love other people because our love will bring them back to the church and instead focus on we need to love people because they deserve to be loved. And um, I love that. And to me, that's consistent with the doctrine that we do. So that just, I, I find that the people in my life that I can do that with, the YSAs I was able to do that with, I found that then they just were more likely to open up to me because I, if whatever happened in their life, I was just a safe person because they just felt my love for them and I trusted them. And Ben Shalotti, who's a gay Latter-day Saint, he is writing a book that's coming out from Desert Book in the next four months. He is an honor code administrator at BYU. So BYU has a gay high councilman. Ben's gay. He's a high councilman. He's an honor code administrator at BYU. He identifies as gay. He's in his 30s. Um, Somebody that I connected with, I read everything he wrote. It helped me so much. Um, But he he was talking to his mother after falling in love with a guy at 29. And this is in the book, and he's shared this on a podcast. Mom, this is so hard. It's pretty normal for people to fall in love with people that they're sexually oriented to. And so he wasn't trying to leave the church. He just fell in love with the guy. And his mom said, Ben, if you need to leave the church, um, I, I, I will be with you and I will support you. And for Ben anyway, that's all he needed to stay in the church. It's just what you did for your wife. And I think if we trust people. Now, I do podcasts, Mike, and it kind of comes back to your earlier point. I do people, I do podcasts with couples in same-sex marriages. Um and someone would say, well, why would you do that? You don't, it's, not, it's outside of our doctrine. I go, yeah, it is outside of our doctrine. But part of my goal, and they, I, if they're respectful of the church, if they just want to go on the podcast and criticize the church, I don't want to have, that's not the po- scope of my podcast. There's other podcasts that they can go on. But if they're respectful of the church, I want to humanize them. I want to bring, I want to bring common ground principles to bring us together in our differences. So yeah, I've had couples that are in same-sex marriages on the podcast. Awesome. And because um, I want to keep the family circle together and yes. keep us together. And yeah, they know they can't fully participate in the church. Some still come to church. They know they can't go to the temple. But I believe everybody should feel welcome in an LDS congregation. If you're in a same-sex marriage, it's it's more obvious the commandments in the church you're not keeping. <laughs> But everybody at church is not keeping all the commandments. Because um, I sin differently than you, right? So let's, I sort of think the gate should be wide at the congregation level. There shouldn't be any belief or behavior hurdle to feel welcome. Unless you're an activist yelling at the speaker. Yeah, the gate narrows at the temple. There's a belief and behavior hurdle. But let's make the congregation wide and welcoming for everybody. Because back to your point, what culture did Christ create? Um it seems like that's the cult. He got mad at people in power, usually. He didn't usually get mad at sinners. <laughs> yeah. It's um, a great point. So I just, yeah, I mean, uh, so I'm finding, and, and if I'm meeting with somebody in a same-sex marriage or going down that road, I always invite people to follow the teachings of the church, but I want all marriages to f- succeed. So 
if somebody in the same this is complicated space, and some of your listeners may be okay with this and not okay, and that's fine. Um, I don't expect everybody to have the same feelings, but if someone you know willingly goes into a committed monogamous relationship with the intent to make that long term. I want that marriage to succeed. I want a mixed orientation marriage to succeed, a straight marriage to succeed, a same-sex marriage. Um, I, I I just don't want to sit on the sidelines and secretly root any marriage fails. Oh. And and so if somebody I'm meeting with that feels like their path is a same-sex marriage, I'll still invite them to live the teachings of the church. But then if they really are going down that path, I'll say, well, live every covenant you can. You know, let's. We don't really talk about life off the covenant path, but there's a lot of ways to do that. And Unfortunately, the men that in my high school days, all they could do was go to San Francisco, and a lot of them died. And I saw their pictures at our 40th reunion, and I wept for these men that I could not be friends with in high school, Mike, because yeah. I thought that's what I was not what I was supposed to do. And now I recognize that, you know, it's still a path outside the teachings of our church, but.